Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great pleasure to introduce this podcast. In it, we'll be discussing a paper, Ophthalmic Abnormalities in Children with Developmental Coordination Disorder, which is authored by Craven, Lingham, Northton and Williams, and is in the February 2014 issue of the journal. It's going to be discussed by Dr. Alexander Craven from the School of Social and Community Medicine, University of Bristol, UK, who's the lead author and by Dr. Kate Wilmot from the Department of Psychology, Social Work and Public Health at Oxford Brookes University, Oxford, UK. Please can we start with you, Dr. Cohen, to outline the paper and its background. Yes, so this is a population-based study of children in the Bristol and Southwest region, and this particular paper was looking at just over 7,000 children who completed a motor assessment on the same day as an ophthalmic assessment. And the children with DCD were identified using the normal DSM-4 criteria. And then this paper looks at those children who were identified as having DCD compared with those who weren't, and if there were any ophthalmic associations with DCD. And our main findings were that there was over-representation of problems with binocular vision, ocular alignment, and refractive error in the children with DCD, particularly those with severe DCD, so in the lowest 5% performance on the motor assessment. And more specifically, we found that these children were more likely to have long-sightedness, hypermetropia, and poor fusion, so ability to combine images when they were both separated in space using prisms and when they were separated to each eye, and also they had poor stereoacuity, which is 3D vision essentially. And we also found that there was an increase in squints, strabismus, but that this was more of a trend when everything was controlled for. So that was our main finding, and what we felt was the relevance and importance of this was that these are very specific, measurable ophthalmic problems, and some of which are treatable, and that we didn't really understand why these were overrepresented, but that improving them might improve performance for these children in motor coordination assessments and in their general outcome, because obviously DCD has social and school implications. So our recommendation from the paper, other than for further work in this area is that paediatricians and generalists seeing these children should consider whether they would be appropriate for orthoptic and optometry assessment to look for these problems. I think probably the thing I would like to say about the paper is it does raise a really important issue, this issue of associated difficulties in children with DCD. So aside from you know, the, the motor difficulties and things that we tend to concentrate, what other associated difficulties do we see that are more prevalent in these children compared to uh, another group of children? And given that many of the movements that we perform are so heavily reliant on vision, in a way, considering vision and considering the, the visual abilities of these children is, is something that's, that's really, really important. Yeah, I certainly agree. And, and work that was done before this paper, or when we as a team looked at the literature, did show that children with DCD seem to have an increased reliance on vision to perform motor tasks, as you say. And there's a paper, I think it's reference 14 in our paper, 
that showed that children with DCD who were required to walk on a straight line with their eyes open and then with their eyes closed really struggled to do it with their eyes closed when compared to children without DCD and that they were already known to have problems with reading and poor eye-hand coordination. But I think what hadn't been done before on any sort of population-based scale was looking at eye problems rather than just vision in general. I think it's important to mention that the children in the study, none of those with DCD had poor visual acuity. So when we measured their ability to see, they were all of a reasonable standard, whereas they do seem to have subtle abnormalities with eyes and with coordinating eye movements. And it's hard to know how much these could impact on ability to perform most tasks or whether it's all just part and parcel of the same abnormality that's causing the motor problems, that's also causing these problems coordinating the eyes and fusion of images. And I think there you raise a, a really important point, the difficulty of knowing how much these types of abnormalities might impact on motor tasks. Mm. And obviously the, the big difficulty here is the way in which we assess these children to see whether or not they do have motor problems requires them to perform motor tasks. Mm. So it's very difficult to know how much of an impact that those visual difficulties have on their performance on those motor tasks. But having said that, if they're having difficulties with the motor tasks that we're giving them in clinics, then they would be having difficulties in motor tasks in everyday life. So I think, and you suggested this earlier, raising this really early on, so where a child presents with what is thought to be a motor problem, looking at whether they've got any visual problems and seeing if something can be done about that first is really important. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I think even if the vision isn't impacting on the motor ability, it's obviously ideal to have it optimised because they have enough school and social issues to overcome without having to overcome treatable eye problems as well. It was interesting when um, this paper was being written, this issue was raised and we looked back at the children who were found to need glasses, so the ones who were found to be long-sighted, to see whether they had perform the tasks wearing glasses or not. And we found that three quarters of the children who we found to have long-sightedness had actually already been picked up and prescribed glasses. And so they had performed the motor tasks wearing their glasses. So they were essentially corrected at that point. So obviously they had still had enough difficulty with the tasks to be found to have DCD. But it would be interesting in future work to look at whether treating children made any difference later in their ability to perform the motor tasks and whether it went as far as downgrading their definition of DCD from severe to moderate or whether it didn't make any difference at all but just obviously made their ability with visual tasks easier because they were corrected. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think it certainly would be interesting. And I think, as you say, picking it up early can't be harmful. It must be beneficial. Whether it would make a difference to the DCD or not, we don't know. But perhaps finding that out might help us to understand the pathophysiology of DCD better. Absolutely, and I think I suspect that for some children it really would be a case of even correcting those visual problems. They're still going to have severe motor problems. It's yeah. just possible that even if just for one or two children, if helping yeah. those with those visual problems kind of ameliorates the motor difficulties, and that's definitely worth doing before they get into the 
the, the process of trying to have a, a diagnosis of DCD, which is a lengthy process, and if it can be shortened in any way, I think that would definitely worth considering. So regarding the link between ophthalmic problems and developmental coordination disorder, or really any similar conditions, it's very difficult to tease out which comes first in a sort of chicken and an egg scenario because because a lot of the brain is used to control eye function in both in terms of movement and in terms of vision. So all these things could just be consequences of the same pathology. But I think that th this study isn't designed and isn't appropriate to answer that question. And I think a lot of studies, specifically in the area of DC, have tried to look at kind of teasing apart the visual part of movement, the movement part of movement, mm. and other sensory inputs part of movement. And it's actually very, very difficult to do. It's very difficult to look at, does this child have a movement difficulty, or actually is it a visual difficulty that is mm. affecting their movement, or is it a crosstalk between the visual system and the motor system, just for some reason the communication not getting through? And yeah. that kind of distinction between the three, or maybe actually it's just all three, is very, very difficult to do. And obviously in research we try to manipulate certain things and we try to look at children in different situations and in different environments and can we manipulate this. But actually being absolutely sure about it I think is very, very difficult. I think that's very true and I think you can very easily get quite caught up in that and forget that perhaps, as you said earlier, that it's clinically the important thing is giving these children the best function that we can and that clearly involves optimising them from an ophthalmic point of view and that should be beneficial whether it contributes to the condition or whether it's just part of the condition. It can only be a benefit to be able to use your eyes better and coordinate your vision better. So although it's difficult to answer and although it might be important in the long term in terms of understanding the condition and similar conditions better, from a short term and mid-term point of view, the key thing is from this work is to say that not to forget their eyes and assessing them orthoptically and measuring their refractive error because these things, for whatever reason, do seem to go together. Do children with similar findings on ophthalmic assessments show higher rates of DCD? I don't know the answer to that question. I would imagine, although, I mean, I don't know for sure that... If a child is sent down the route of a suspected visual problem, it's unlikely that a motor assessment would be done in the same way. But unfortunately, most of the work is, other than the ALSPAC work that we're talking about, most of the work is children who are identified in clinics and special needs schools as having DCD, and then their ophthalmic function was looked at. So, firstly, there weren't any controls, and also, secondly, these were children who actually often had multiple comorbidities, which is why they were then attending clinics and being educated in special needs schools. So, we get a slightly warped idea, whereas, and we may be seeing more of the children with quite severe DCD as well, 
whereas it was interesting to see a more population-based approach because then we identified the children with moderate DCD and were able to see what problems they had. And perhaps that's more representative of the population. And using that data, it might be easier to see whether ones with visual problems or ophthalmic problems then had motor problems. Whereas obviously the ones who are identified from clinics and special needs schools, we can't do it that way around because of course they all have DCD or they controls with children who had other neurodevelopmental diagnoses rather than developmentally normal children. Within your answer, you did raise an important kind of more general issue in DCD research, and that is the method of selection of children with DCD. And you do tend to get quite a, a variation across different research studies in terms mm. of where if you like, you source your participants from. And you quite rightly raised that some studies predominantly source them from clinics or from special schools. And this obviously does mean that you're picking up children who do tend to be on the more severe end of the continuum. And there have actually been studies that have looked at or compared children who would be considered as having severe DCD compared to those who might not actually receive a clinical diagnosis, but for research are um, sometimes considered as at risk. So they're falling below the 15th percentile, but above the 5th. And studies which have done that have shown that you do see differences in the way those two groups of children respond on a whole range of different tasks. And this obviously kind of fits in with what you found in terms of your associations being much more pronounced in those with the severe DCD compared to the, I think you referred to it as moderate DCD. It's interesting to be able to compare the two groups because, as you say, the ones with moderate or you think it used to be called probable DCD, they seem to not have such severe ophthalmic problems as well. And I think you referred to it as almost a stepwise increase in ophthalmic associations when you look at DCD severity and what was interesting though was that the ones with moderate or probable DCD do still have an increased association with ophthalmic problems so if those ones aren't being diagnosed or aren't being picked up early they may also miss the opportunity to have their ophthalmic problems identified and improved where appropriate do you think children who have a diagnosis of DCD should always have an ophthalmological assessment? I think that's a really interesting question, and it's very difficult to answer because you go into the realms of screening and whether that's appropriate. And I think there are two approaches, really. One is that any child you diagnose with DCD, whatever your cutoff for that is, whether you're only including severe or whether you're including moderate and severe, you send to an optician and an orthoptist. And then the other approach would be that you wait until that child has problems or the parents identify a problem and then suggest that should they do that, they should go and see their optician and be referred appropriately. And I think from a medical perspective, I can see the benefits of both because you don't want to miss children who perhaps don't raise the fact that they are having difficulty or whose parents don't necessarily notice. But equally, there's a cost implication to assessing all children who may not have problems. And these children may already be attending lots of clinics and their parents may be too much to be adding on eye clinics as well. 
However, I think that most children of school age do get some sort of eye assessment. I think probably the essential thing here is if at any point there's suspicion that there is a visual problem Mm. with a child who seemingly has a motor problem, it is essential that that is checked. And if there is a visual problem, it is corrected to the point at which it can be. Because obviously any motor assessment that is done will be affected by poor vision. We don't move as well if we can't see as well. That's kind of pretty obvious. And so if you're trying to assess a child's movement and you suspect they have a visual problem, it really is essential that that is dealt with before any diagnosis is received. In a way, the the worst thing you could do for a child is give them a diagnosis of a motor problem when actually what they really have is a visual problem that's solvable because it's not helping in any way. I certainly agree, and I think that certainly if if something's impacting on vision, then hopefully that would be identified either by parents, school, or the child themselves. I think that the question that comes up is what happens when it doesn't impact on vision at that time. And certainly, as I say, the children in our group, both severe DCD group and our moderate DCD group, all had vision better than 618 in their better eye. But many of them did have ophthalmic problems. So I think in conclusion, the work that we've done uh, demonstrates that the eye and certainly ophthalmic problems should be considered in children who have been diagnosed with developmental coordination disorder as there is an association between poor fusion and stereoacuity and refractive error and severe developmental coordination disorder. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Many thanks indeed to Alexander Craven and Kate Wilmot for highlighting a very interesting association which has clear practical implications. Just to remind our listeners, the article is Ophthalmic Abnormalities in Children with Developmental Coordination Disorder by Craven et al. in the February 2014 issue.